Hey guys, this is Tom O'Pennekick, and you're listening to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. Previously on the Galactica Quorum. As I've said many times, that's always been an issue with me. Why doesn't Baltar ever, Not much to- less go down to speak to, but even think of Caprica? I would love to someday see the so-called Cylon homeworld, which, yeah. not Earth, but wherever they it has to had exist. themselves. But we had a really, really intense scene, and it's one where I'm maybe doubting whether my wife even loves me anymore, and whether she, it's over. I mean, I guess that's a little bit of a spoiler there. <laughs> uh, I've never really given one, but it's, it's an intense scene. Eddie was weeping. He was directing it. Who taught you what? Wait a minute, time out. <laughs> yeah, whatever, Ron. Whatever. No wonder the colony's got their ass kicked, man. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica. I'm Brian. I'm Michelle. Jason. And this is episode number 71. We have a website that is galacticacorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. We have a voicemail, 301-358-5175. Follow us on our Twitter account, which is Galactica Quorum, and follow us on Facebook. Visit our forums to join in on the discussion about the current episodes or other sci-fi shows. Just want to mention that there are only a couple episodes left. Now is your chance to send us voicemails about your thoughts, your questions, your theories before it all wraps up. If you like, you can also send us an email attachment of an MP3 of whatever you want to say. That works, too. We're going to be discussing the episode, I Landed in a Stream of Stars. Up front, we want to say we have not listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast for this episode. I haven't watched any previews for the upcoming episodes. So we will not be discussing any spoilers. We will be speculating, however. It's just that we speculate so well, you think they're spoilers. <laughs> I'm, I'm convinced Brian has spoilers. I do not have spoilers. You're just so dead on that... Nope. We just have some educated guesses. I'd say at this point in the series, after you've seen a body of work, sometimes you could make deductions about what might be happening. You, sometimes you can make deductions about what will happen just by the name of the writer on the show. Oh. Oh. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> Want to mention once again that Pike is doing the video recaps. Check them out on YouTube or on our website. And Con News, the Dallas All-Con with Aaron Douglas is coming up soon. That's March 13th to 15th. And also Icon is coming up. That's in what, New York? Yes. And that one has Nikki Klein. Check on the dates, but we think it's the first week of April. And also the first week of April is the Emerald City Con. I want to note that I have fixed a problem where we had on our website, the first 19 episodes weren't playing correctly because they were looking back to the old crappy audio site. I fixed that so you can go and listen to old archived episodes without any problems now. Alternately, you could also subscribe to iTunes and get them that way. Or go to our FeedBurner page, which also you can play them from that page as well. Speaking of archive shows, I got an email from JN who asks everyone to write sci-fi and bitch about the fact that the Sci-Fi Rewind is cluttering up the Battlestar Encore presentation online with ads that are annoying and ones that you are unable to fast forward. They don't care. I, I feel your pain after watching the minisodes and seeing the Rise of the Lycans trailer for a bajillion times. <laughs> You know what? I didn't see that movie because of those commercials. I tried to watch The Lost 
HD thing on the Fios On Demand a couple weeks ago, and it said you can't fast forward, you can't do that. Every commercial break, they ran an ad for Shopaholic movie and the Jonas Brothers 3D movie. And I'm thinking, okay, this has to be some kind of Disney ABC tie-in because no one that watches Lost is going to go see those movies. I want to find the person... I want to find the intersection of the Lost fan base and the Jonas Brothers fan base. I want to meet that person. We have some ideas coming up for the next few episodes as we discuss and talk about the finale of the show. We will be covering them as we normally do. I also would like to get together a sort of town hall or a frack party event where we talk with other fans. And then we'll probably have a big wrap up as well. As the show does come to an end, it is not the end of our podcast. We will be continuing. Of course, we would love to hear your ideas or suggestions if you have anything you think we might have fun covering. As we do come to the end of the series, I thought it'd be fun. We are going to have the quarries, our awards. I just had some ideas that we could have a quarry for moments from our podcast, the best argument. There have been a couple of those. The best, pre- the best prediction, the best wager. Okay, cause, no, you can't do the best prediction because Brian's going to win Brian that. Brian got spoilers. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about the best prediction from someone that doesn't regularly talk to Ronald D. Moore? Best prediction other than Brian. <laughs> other than Brian. And, well, how do you have best argument other than Shell and Dimitri? Oh, well, yeah, Dimitri and I will probably win. Well, there's a couple of those, but there's some that was in Well, there we too. had that one where I yelled at everybody about Baltar being a chauvinist pig. Yes. Yeah, and they, I, like, I have totally a, I have yelled a, at me. I have a list in my mind about some really good candidates, but I also am soliciting suggestions from everyone in podcast land. If you're familiar with our podcast, send us some of your submissions. Come up with your own categories. Come up with your own categories. Let us know uh, what you think might be fun to do. We do serious ones. We can do some lighthearted ones. Best interview, best outtake, or some of the funnier ones. It doesn't matter. My favorite outtake is the one where Jason sat on the chair and it made that whistle fart noise. That was funny. Yeah. Did I blame that on the chair? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you believe that? <laughs> and the other one was uh, that I may have to go puke, and then Jason said that he had to poop. That was a good one, too. See? <laughs> We should do an outtake episode. Yes, there is an outtake episode. I've been compiling bloopers from all the last two plus years. Amazingly enough, the funniest part is still not an outtake. It was actually planned. The line just a couple weeks ago about she's no longer swallowing his shtick. (laughs) That could be the single funniest moment of the entire time we've done this. But he took out us laughing. And it was written. It was planned. (laughs) You took us out laughing? He did. Oh, my God. It was the middle of the recap. That is in the outtakes, in the bloopers. Okay. And then, don't know if I'm going to get to it before the show ends, but I do still want to get the video podcast, at least one of the elements of our Dragon Con experience, out. I was just thinking of my fat self in the Leia bikini. Well, that ain't me too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, we haven't even got to the episode yet. That would be a reason for uh, people to come back after the show ends, and uh, I could tease that... Oh, Hello. Okay. We'll, have we'll have, come back for the video part where we'll have different people wearing the Leia bikini. <laughs> hmm. Next Tuesday, the 17th, at the United Nations, of all places, there will be a presentation about Battlestar Galactica given by Ron Moore, David Icke, Mary McDonnell, and Edward James Olmos. They'll be discussing Battlestar and aspects of the show, such as human rights, the way children are treated, just a wide variety of things. So... Wait a minute. Okay, I don't understand the context of this at all. It is sort of interesting that they would talk about a science fiction show at the United Nations, but that's what they're doing. 
I would like to go, but I cannot go to New York on a Tuesday. Yeah, me neither. I want to mention that we do plugs for other podcasts and other websites. Just let us know your URL or send us a MP3 of your promo, and we'll be happy to announce it for you and do a swap with you. This week, I want to mention a podcast about movies called The Film Assassins. They talk about various films, and their website is thefilmassassins.com. See, I think your little comment how we, even got, we haven't even gotten to the show yet. I think if you go back through the podcast, I think how much time we spend goofing off beforehand versus how quickly we get to talking about the show is pretty much a giveaway on what we thought about the show overall. Oh, yeah, that's true, I guess. If we don't push to jump in right quick, it's it's generally a meh episode. Yeah, that's true. We don't have any voicemails or emails regarding the previous show. So let's go ahead and get into our discussion about this episode, I Landed in a Stream of Stars. Again, we have some cool tweet caps coming in from a couple people. Kit wrote us with this one. Galactica moans apart, Sam reboots. Baltar out Starbuck. Lee doesn't care. Time to arrange a glorious death for the old girl. That was 140 characters? Aren't you amazed? I'm totally amazed by that. And Rainteshi writes one. Hers is, Boomer is remorseful. Sam is a hybrid. Adama's women are dying. Kara is confused. And the harbinger of death. Tyrell is MIA. Oh, yeah. That was convenient, wasn't it? He wasn't in that episode. I didn't even notice. I completely noticed because I kept waiting for the fallout. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to my recap of the episode I Landed in a Stream of Stars. Galactica and her crew are in a flux, wavering between progress and decline. The ship is being repaired, but is falling apart just as it is being patched. The human techs are bickering with the Cylon crew, only to have them join together when a section depressurizes and a six sacrifices herself before others are sucked into space. The Galactica Brain Trust is debating a course of action. Ellen explains that Hera likely has been brought to the colony, the Cylon home, the Cylon Zion, if the war ended tomorrow, Zion is where the party would be. Lee is finding the quorum of captains isn't much better to deal with than the previous quorum. The rabble of ship's captains are eager to pick Galactica's bones clean to save themselves, and Lee is exasperated to hear them defer to Gaius Baltar instead of the Admiral, the irony of which going right over his head. Hera is a captive passenger on Boomer's space minivan from hell, and it's not a fun trip. Boomer forgot to pack videos of Scorpia Street or any Leonis Brothers CDs, so the poor kid is screaming her head off for mommy. But Boomer discovers that Hera can do silent projection and shows her the fantasy house that has been her mental retreat. Seeing Hera jump on the bed in her fabricated daughter's room seems to quell Boomer's irritation to the child. Indeed, she begins to see her in a different light. Baltar gives a sermon about angels and spots Caprica Six, but it's not the reunion he'd hoped, and she leaves. Baltar then runs into another former conquest, although he doesn't remember her at all, Starbuck. She discloses that she is literally dead, and gives Baltar her dog tags and an assignment. Use your elite science skills and figure out what the frack is going on. Anders is jacked into the Cylon data stream and is now a glorified hybrid. Starbuck is pained to see him in that condition and is about to end this tortured existence when he jerks to an active state and starts spewing random phrases. Great atmosphere elevating. Look, Kyra, I can see you're really upset about this. Sample photon integrity. I honestly think you ought to sit down calmly, take a stress pill, and think things over. Over. You're the harbinger of death. Feed the cat. The crew figures out that Anders has begun tapping into the ship, extending control via the conductive filaments of the Cylon goop. Ty orders him unplugged before he ends up jumping the ship. Rosalind is also hooked up to machines, monitoring her deteriorating health. She has something better than a stress pill, some weed from New Caprica. She and Adama reminisce about her intention to build a cabin there, and Rosalind muses, What is home? Over CSI-like montage of microscopes and vials, Baltar runs tests on the bloody dog tags. Guilt-ridden about his dalliance with Boomer and Hera being taken, Hilo begs Adama for a raptor to search for them. 
Radama tells him that she's gone and let it go. Again, recognizing the irony is not an Adama family trait. After the funeral for the human and silent workers, Balthar breaks doctor-patient confidentiality and announces to everyone his not-so-startling discovery. The blood on Kara's dog tags came from a dead body. Thanks a bunch, Dr. Obvious. Boomer arrives at the colony and hands Hera over to her master, who is gleeful with his prize. Fulfill your destiny and take your stepmother's place at my side, cackles Emperor Cavill to the youngster. Darth Boomer stands conflicted as Hera calls out her name. Since Leoban is spooked and Baltar was no help other than making people more freaked about her than before, Starbuck resorts to plugging Anders back in. The lights flicker as Anders comes back online. After a therapeutic session of flailing and flopping, Adama finally admits to himself that the ship is no longer his. He gives Ty the order, abandon ship. After we get drunk, that is. Roll credits. We do have one voicemail to jump things off, and that is from Amanda. Hey, this is Amanda from Pennsylvania, and I finally get to watch an episode of Battlestar on a Friday night. Every other episode, I've either caught it on a Thursday the next week, so so excited I got to see this. Although, I got to say, it was okay. I don't know. It was too much kind of talking, but it was kind of talking about stuff we kind of knew. That, like, yes, we knew Harry was important, da-da-da-da-da. It kind of picked up towards the end, but I was kind of like, okay. To me, it was not the worst step, but it was actually, to me, for like... One of the last few episodes, I thought there would be a little bit more of a momentum, a little bit more energy. Maybe you disagree. I don't know. But I just thought, it was like, eh, that was all right. The only really kind of thing I've, I kind of felt, though, is I was a little depressed because everyone was kind of crying in the episode, which I understand. But mostly I just got depressed when I see little kids cry. So when Hera was crying half the time, I was just like, oh, that kind of tugged at my heart a little bit. But it was just, eh, it was all right. Not bad. All right, can't wait to hear your guys' input on this. Talk to you guys later. Bye. She's completely correct. We had the non-Michelle podcast where you and I both basically gushed over what the season had been to date. <laughs> and then we had one slow-down, build-up episode. Okay, one, okay. Then we had a second slow-down, let's-talk, let's-be-boring episode. Okay, we get it. Let's move on with our lives. Now we've had the third straight one. Now these last three episodes better be something massive because they've spent three episodes. It seems like they could have done what they've done in the last three episodes in two. Right. And give us a little bit more to go on with four left. But I'm still expecting something awesome in the last three, but they've certainly stretched out a bunch of exposition as long as they possibly could. I agree with uh, Amanda as well. After watching it, I was like, no, oh, well, well, yeah, okay, whatever. But I wasn't blown away by it, let's just say. I think we're a consensus about this one. It was a lot of stuff that we already knew. Like, we knew Starbuck was dead, and the confirmation of that really didn't add anything to it other than Baltar proclaiming it to everybody. I don't know if that's such a big deal. Well, we, it might be for the... I don't know. I don't think people care. But we saw again how Adama deals with stuff, him flopping around. I felt like we saw that scene once before this season, so it was kind of redundant there. And then we had another scene where Rosalind gently guides him and tells him what to do. There was the scene early in season four when Starbuck came back and he wanted to do something and she was telling him something else. And he had that line about, get out of my head, I don't need to hear from you. And then he came around to doing just what she suggested it. Maybe, in a way, they're tying things up. They're saying, yes, this is how they are. We're reinforcing it. But it just didn't seem like they needed to do that. And I agree with Jason. It's like, if they had moved this to two episodes instead of the last three, and they had taken some cool elements from the finale, 
They could have put more interesting things in this episode. And it makes me wonder just what were they saving up? Is Ron Moore kind of being greedy and then holding it all for himself so he can lay down everything all at once? There is a small flicker in me of like dread that this is heading into a hero season one. Yeah. Where you spent all this great, great, great build up and you got everyone ready for this massive, awesome finale. And you're like, oh crap, we didn't leave ourselves enough time to do everything. Hope this works. This show's often compared to Sopranos, not in terms of the story or the style or anything like that, but just that Sopranos often has episodes that were very memorable. And most of the Sopranos episodes that you remember the most were the ones that came right before the end of a, a season finale. They were the penultimate episodes for the season. Lots of stuff happened in those episodes. And often the actual finale of the Soprano season was kind of a, a breath where they just let things shake out a little bit. They can't do it that way now with this. It has to end with a lot of stuff happening. And I'm convinced that it will happen. Everything we've heard from actors and production people tells us that it's going to be emotionally charged. And I think they're going to blow every cent of their CGI budget. But that is sort of an all-eggs-in-one-basket proposition at this point. I like the funeral scene. I liked it, but they were also yet again reiterating the integration, restating, yes, we're all integrating now because they had the three different services. Mm -hmm. Which I liked that they did the three different services because it showed how the Cylons did funerals because they've never had to do one before. So I thought that was interesting that you had you got to see a Cylon funeral. I really think the best job in this entire episode was done by the little girl that plays Hera. Oh, yeah, she's so good. That was a hell of an acting job because she had to pretend that the actress that she's been working with as her mother was actually a different character. Yeah. And I thought that was a pretty good job for someone that age. I agree. And I don't buy that Cavill's going to actually do anything to Hera because we get it. Cavill's the bad guy. I don't see some kind of ominous, like he's going to dissect her or kill her or whatever. You know? I don't think he would. I think he, I basically think he's going to do what the emperor did to Anakin. He's going to raise him in his shadow towards his ideals. Right. Here's an email from Nick. He writes, note that in the latest episode, we got to see the Cylon colony. And also Adama decided that they were going to abandon ship and give her a proper send off. Also, I'm sure we all remember what Saul said the previous episode about what would happen if Boomer were to jump a raptor inside of Galactica. Well, I think the dying leader will be Galactica, and that the way this will happen is by getting the ship inside the Cylon colony somehow, and either Commander Adama, Ty, or both aboard the ship, jump her one last time, destroying both ships in the process. I think that's a very strong they theory. Are, they are so setting it up for a suicide Galactica mission. I think, yeah. Recall in the webisodes, the writer commentary about the writing device of planning something so that it comes back later. So something that is done does not need an explanation to the viewers. And in this case, the mention of the FTL jump in the previous episode will come into play. I'm really confident of that, I think. Also showing the colony. So I can see the Galactica might be going on a suicide mission, which again, if you look at Adama's line to Hilo in this episode, kind of laying the groundwork for that. I still go back to one of my early theories about the ending that Hilo, Athena, maybe a couple of core players from the mythology are going to head to the colony, a la Frodo and Sam, into Mount Doom, and have something monumental occur there. I'll never let go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just intrigued. There's no suspense in, at least in my mind, that, you know, will Galactica be destroyed at the end of the episode? The suspense is who volunteers to go down with the ship. Yeah. Like, how many and which of the main characters and what are their rationale? Right. Okay, Adama, obvious. Rosalind will be on there if she's still alive. I mean, okay, Starbuck probably going. 
But what about the final five? I could see like Ty and Ellen almost feeling like this is all our fault. We've got to end it. But I could see. Wait, wait, wait. You actually think Ellen would sit there and go, this is all my fault. I'm going to have to sacrifice myself. Please, Ellen would never. Wait, wait. Haven't we already gone through the fact that Ellen and now Tira will completely change their mind at the drop of a writer's pen? Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, (laughs) The only one I see not even thinking about it would be uh, Tori. Tori sucks. What is up with her? She'd be like, screw it. Why is she even a final five? Don't know. She's just. I'm kind of disappointed the way that she's been reduced to just a a side player again. One of the things we had hoped that she would have a reckoning for her murderer of Callie. I don't know if that's going to occur. Well, nobody even knows that yet. I mean, I wonder if they're ever going to reveal that. You don't think they'll ever reveal that? I think that might be one of the things that just never, never gets resolved. Yeah. Which, right. in the scheme of things, isn't a huge thing. True. But It's huge in the way Tyrrell handles things, though, yeah. don't you think? No. He has no feelings for her anymore. Oh, come on. No way in hell. It was a marriage of convenience. Well, yes, but he had some feelings no, for her. No, She was a sub for Boomer. Now Boomer's alive, expressed affection for him again. His, his wife, not his kid, she was banging someone else up until they got married. He doesn't give a crap about her. Oh, that's unfortunate for Callie. I kind of don't like that they did that to her character. No, no, they, they totally, totally. She was really cool in the first couple Yeah, and then they made her and into this. And then they just... Yeah, let, they totally just destroyed bummer. her. Yeah, I mean, it's horrible. And she's not even there to defend herself. Nope. <laughs> it's just not fair. Wait, can I say um, Hilo... His acting, Tom O'Pennicott is so good on this show. Now on Dollhouse, I don't know if it's who's ever is directing him on Dollhouse, but it's just not coming across to me in Dollhouse. Well, from what I've read, that's pretty much an every actor problem on Dollhouse. They're all kind of confused because of everything. I feel bad about it because he is such an amazing actor and it's not coming across in Dollhouse at all. Yeah, he had those two really big scenes. There's the one in the beginning, the one he had mentioned to us before about him and Athena, and then the one with Adama was just really powerful, too. Yeah. And it was very emotional, and you felt the emotion behind it. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like they went and they did a lot of sidestepping just so they could set up for the next episode. Like, they had the little briefing at the beginning, and they were talking about... Starbuck was saying, Hera's important. She was playing this music that my father taught me. And they're like, oh, Hera knows the music. And it just went whoosh, right over. The, no one even said, wait a minute. Who taught you what? And the Cylon song? I, I was like, wait a minute. Time out. <laughs> and, and again, it, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining all the time. But it's just that for some reason, the writers this season have taken to treating the audience like five-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Like having characters explain obvious points that we've picked up on just by watching the action. But I think a lot of that is not for our sake. They're not trying to draw in new viewers. No, no. It's not for our sake. It's for the characters around them's sake. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like Kara has to explain to everybody around her because they don't know. We know, yes, but they don't know. That's or Rosalind explained, or Rosalind walking through the Hall of Pictures, the Memorial Hall, and seeing all the Cylon pictures Well, that pictures one didn't going. need to be explained. But some I mean, things are know. being explained for, like Baltar telling the entire Galactica 
Everybody on They all knew. They didn't oh. know what she found. Okay. They didn't know she found her body. Still, but they didn't need to know that. Act. I mean, they. No, everyone they, saw her ship blow up, and it's not too much of a stretch for them to. And they have references throughout the season of people saying, "No one even knows what you are," and "Weren't you dead?" And so, but see, they could have gotten to the point where they were like, "Oh, well, maybe it was some sort of Cylon show. Like maybe the Cylons picked her up and they blew her ship up just to make us all think she was dead. Maybe she really didn't die." But now they're explaining to them that yes, she really did die. Even though we already know that, they don't so, know that. So the Cylons picked her up, cleaned her Viper up, gave it a wax job. But the entire crew doesn't know that. The entire crew doesn't know okay. that. I'm just playing devil's advocate with you guys. I'm you trying don't to even get do an it that well. I know, I suck at it. But <laughs> what I'm saying is yes, you think they're making us feel like five year olds, but it's because the rest of the crew is full of five year olds that they have to explain it to them word for word. Okay. No wonder the colonies got their ass kicked then. <laughs> Well, they let Baltar be in charge of the mainframe. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a good scene with the captain's quorum wanting to dissect Galactica. Because it's really showing what Lee said, that we're not colonies anymore, we're ships. The original quorum is fighting for the rights of Pycons, blah, blah, blah. Whereas the captain was like, dude, my FTL drives are shot. I need this, this, and this from Galactica, and my air quality's horrible. I don't you know. get why they said they wanted to talk to Baltar. Because Unless none of laying, them believe in Baltar's religion anyway. Unless they're laying the groundwork for him being what they consider to be the de facto leader as they lose confidence in Adama or the or, Roslyn. Right. Did they forget what he did on New Caprica? Apparently they have. Because he was president at one time. Did they not remember that? He was forgiven. Whatever. They're forgiving people. Oh, right. Well, to humans. I did like his interaction with uh, Caprica 6. I like that she said, Baltar, you haven't changed and I have. I highly enjoyed that. Go, Caprica. It's not me, it's you. <laughs> you know, we differ on this a lot, but I felt that his offer to her wasn't just to come join his harem, and he said as much. He did seem emotional to see her again, which was pleasing. It wasn't something where he saw her and was like, oh, here's another opportunity. But did he really think that she would take him back? He's I think he did. With his ego? It was his intention, probably. You're right. His ego thought maybe she would, but... I think his intention at the time was just to talk with her again. He could also be bringing back that human element, maybe that he really did love her. Right. Which you kind of saw. Like, I got to give him credit for actually being genuine about that. What about the angels? That was brought up. Again, one of the few remaining mysteries is the state of the head characters, angels, the guiding force. I don't think they gave us too many clues about anything in this episode unless retroactively we can go back and look at it. But to me, the head characters are still just crazy people. That's just not it. I've never been that intrigued by the head characters just because it seems like it was just Baltar being crazy and then someone else going crazy. Well, who's the only one? Okay, so Caprica has seen a head character. Baltar, Baltar, Caprica. I guess now you could say that Kara. Kara has. You can't say it's just crazy people because they've laid lines throughout this season where they said the final five saw people appear to them prior to the Armageddon. Well, it's more than that. Well, okay, it's more than that. It's just that they waited so late to try to make it more than that. I'm not really thinking about that plot point that much. What about Starbuck and her role as a harbinger of death? You and I were talking earlier. We were saying what would happen if Starbuck were to die just from a regular occurrence, like if she were to be shot or if she was flying a Viper and it exploded, I would say that if she were to die in that manner, she'd be dead and she would not come back. I think her coming back 
the cause of it and the reason for it was the fact that A, she was special, but also B, there was a Mandela there. She has died twice already. What was the second Because time? remember, the Viper exploded in space. So that killed her. Then she found a Viper on Earth that had her remains, but that was not a Viper that exploded. That was a Viper that crashed. No, it, would, it broke up over the planet. But you wouldn't have found her body like you that. You wouldn't have found her body like that. And plus, remember how you found the different kind of centurion heads? So you could conceivably argue that that was a viper from that era. So I think she has died twice, and I think she resurrects. This is yeah. why I'm kind of disappointed with the Baltar science experiment, because they didn't tell us anything new other than she was... She didn't tell us anything new at all. I mean, she, she's dead. So what? It would have been nice to have known, oh, this blood is really old. It's couple thousand years old. I think if it was, you would have pointed that out. I think it was that the body was as old as as long as she's been disappeared. By him not saying that, I think we can infer that. Whether she she entered the maelstrom, which is like a to me like a teleportation device, for lack of a better word, and appeared either above the Earth's atmosphere or whatever. Maybe you're right. Maybe there's two instances of her dying, and that would go into the whole it's happened before mantra. But I feel that we will see the Mandala again. I think it's entirely possible that that will be something that she will do to perhaps trigger another final stage of existence for either the Cylons or the humans or both. I wouldn't be surprised if she flies into it, if the Galactica flies into it as it's breaking into a million pieces. Maybe it appears on the other side, fresh and new. I don't know. Hey, I like that. Here's an email from Heather regarding Starbucks. She says, I think the line about everything happening over and over again is what could be happening to Kara. When Leoben brought Casey, the little girl that she thought could be her daughter, to Kara, he made her fall in love with the little girl and by proxy fall in love with him as well. I think this could be what could have happened to Kara's mother as well. I don't envision a woman like that to have a child willingly. I think she could have either had her DNA extracted, such as Kara did, and the child was given back or she is possibly put into a breeding camp. I don't think the woman was capable of love, and maybe Daniel forced her into it like Leoben, and that's why Starbuck's mother pretty much hated her daughter. And who's to say the car is his only child? I do like that angle that what happened to Starbuck could have been repeated previously. I think Kara's mom is not really her mom. Like, I don't think it's her biological mother, just because she really seemed indifferent to her child. You know, she really didn't want to have anything to do with her. Of course, a lot of biological mothers are like that, too, but... I think there's a lot of material to be mined there. I think with Starbucks' mother and her father, that's a lot of backstory that I don't think, ultimately, we just won't ever find out. Probably not. I think they're going to leave some things just as is. They might not even, like we said last podcast, even fully say just who her father was in terms of whether he's a Cylon or not a Cylon, or it might just be that the thing we really just learn is what is her role and why is she important to the resolution of the series? That might be it. Got an email from Digger who thinks the earth that we know is far in their past. Probably. He says, why wouldn't the humans of the colonies be our children after we devastated the earth as we know and set out for the stars? That would explain all the language, clothing, etc. problems as well as how the technology evolved since we don't know much about pre-colonial life. I flip-flopped on this. Even up till today, I was thinking, you know what? I don't think we'll actually have them arrive at Earth as we know it, like this Earth. I think what they're going to do is they're going to finally explain what the cosmic universal connection is between them and us. And it won't be them arriving at our Earth, either in the past, the future, or whatever. It'll be just something that will say... This is why they do what they do. And this is why there's that song and why we also have that song. 
And does maybe, it all really need to be connected back to us? Can it just be a it parallel doesn't, see, universe? See, I don't think it's going to necessarily come back to us. That's why I've kind of changed my thinking. I don't think it's going to come back to us. I think it's going to come back to there being a connection that we are connected to. So in other words, it's not going to connect to us. It's going to connect to a central hub of which we are also connected. So we will learn the connection to this other place. Yeah, because the pyramids were made by aliens. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> it was made by the alien Cylons from the original series. That's yeah. right. Got an email from Jasper. He has a theory. He writes, I remember watching your video cast with the BSG cast, plug for them, and I remember hearing someone say that Carthrace was supposedly the goddess Aurora. I think that Carthrace is some Jesus version of the Cylon god, like in the fact that she was in heaven one day. She was like, I think I'll go to not heaven, because in this case, you can't really say earth. With more to that, is Jesus not the harbinger of death? Huh. Huh. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. Um, the title of this episode, in case you're wondering, uh, I got this from the Battlestar Wiki. They have so many interesting things and factoids. It was taken from a book called The Outermost House. There's a phrase in it that goes, For a moment of night, we have a glimpse of ourselves and our world, islanded in a stream of stars, pilgrims of mortality, voyaging between horizons across eternal space and time. Very trippy. I'm not sure what this book is about, but that's very metaphysical. (laughs) But it obviously very much applies to uh, the series, Pilgrims Voyaging Between Eternal Space and Time. So I can see why they chose it. Who was the writer on this one? The writer was Michael Taylor and the director was Eddie. Oh, really? Yep. I think Eddie as a director, actually, although I didn't care that much for this episode, I think he did a a good job. I, I feel he placed a lot of visual elements together in nice ways. There's a framing of Anders' eyelid from the side early in the show. We don't know yet that it's him. That was a mirror of later Adama sitting there sort of stoned and spent. He's sitting there as the same kind of profile shot. I like that. And just the way when Hera was playing with the ships at the beginning and it spins around and it morphs into the actual ragtag fleet. You see the Galactica. He definitely has an artistic eye as a director. And as far as getting performances from characters, I think he did a fabulous job. I mean, the Hilo scene we talked about, Baltar's scene with Caprica 6, I really dug that. I think given the material, he actually elevated it from what the material was on the page. Put it that way. Yeah. What else do we have to talk about? Uh, Anders in the Pool of Goo? Okay. Let's talk about Anders in the Pool of Goo. (laughs) Pool of Goo. We've actually seen the scenes with Sam before when she saw the original hybrid. He was just repeating kind of the same stuff. It's just that now she feels connected to the hybrid. I had a thought for a uh, moment that that the hybrid she saw, was it in Razor that she saw it? I was like, huh, that hybrid was old. Maybe that was Anders. For just a moment, I had that thought. Yeah. Like they plugged Anders in and he aged while he was a hybrid and, you know, time travel. Other sci-fi shows do it. <laughs> <laughs> did you write down everything he said? I did not. Oh, Damn. I know I'm missing whatever he said. I'm sure there was some significance to it all. He did mention a few things that we've heard before. Obviously, the harbinger of death. He mentioned all this has happened before. There was the line about the dying eight in the sick bay who said there's too much confusion. They're obviously, they're bringing all these things back together. They're tying it all up. And you can see the threads all coalescing into a what we hope is a nice secure knot that will tie everything together by the last episode. I guess the question with Anders is... Will he ever recover from his state that he comes back as Anders and again? Or is he just now just merely a a vessel and somewhat of a plot device to get them to jump to the colony? Since I assume that's what he's going to be used for. Because he'll be the only one to know how to get there. Exactly. Yeah. 
now that he's plugged into this wide ranging data stream Cylon network and he's a final five. So he's got all this intuitive Cylon stuff going on in his head. It did make me wonder how the hell did they get that tub in that room? <laughs> it seemed like it was, they had to open the, the door and maybe if you tilt it on its side, it'll fit. Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> all the people like, all right, left. Oh, heave. Oh, and they get it in there. It's possible. It could have worked. Well, we don't know what's on the other side of the room. Was it a completely closed off room? Like maybe there's a bigger door on the yeah, other side. Yeah, maybe there's yeah a double door on the other side. Yeah. That's true. It's still getting that thing through the hallways would be just... Seriously. It's kind of cumbersome. Did Hera... Here's what I want to know. Did Hera immediately know that it wasn't Athena? Because if Hera immediately knew it wasn't Athena, I still think Hilo should have known. <laughs> Ron Moore in his previous podcast did mention something about how the silence seemed to be able to recognize who the other ones are. Yeah, I listened to that podcast. Which kind of contradicts something from the New Caprica episodes when they said that when they had Athena go down to the planet. Yeah, I wondered that too. They said that they can't tell who they are because of some reason. There was actually a a reason that they they didn't. No, I think it was just the Centurions. Oh, the Centurions couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, but still there's all kinds of other skin jobs walking around. So the skin jobs wouldn't be able to pick it up. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. I don't remember fully. But, you know, I listened to him and he said that he bought Hilo, not recognizing his wife. Yeah, whatever, Ron. Whatever. <laughs> Ask your wife that question. You're just not going to let that go. No, I'm not. I'd like to know what Mrs. Ron thought about that. <laughs> There's just a point where he should have known. I agree. He should have known. I just think she would have some sort of little nuance in the way that they kiss or the way that they yeah. make love that he would notice. All I can say is... In a way, I'm glad they did it just because it adds some texture to that character dynamic between him and her. Okay, yes. I mean, it's a bad, it's a negative one, but it does give us something to talk about. And that's obviously that was their intention. As I've said before, it does put, you know, a little bad mark on Hilo because he's always been so straight and narrow and really good. And he does now have like, he made this huge uber mistake. So. But speaking of Boomer. I guess the interesting thing in this episode was that you have to wonder from what happened in the last episode where she was so evil. Oh, here I'm going to Is she going to be somehow redeemable again? Is she going to be able to be pulled back from the dark side? I'm going to bring up my Anakin thing again. Mm -hmm. Because there's a scene where, you know, Anakin turns dark and he goes off and he's like killing everybody and kills the younglings and whatever. I never saw that movie. Oh, whatever. You still know what happened. <laughs> for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so he's off and he's on the lava planet and he kills everybody and he's standing off in the corner and he's crying because he does realize that what he's doing is evil, but he's so far beyond it now that he has no choice. But he does redeem himself like three movies down the road. So I think that's what's going on with her is like she feels the need to follow Cavill So she follows him blindly, but yet she still realizes that what she's doing is just totally bad and evil, and it's not really her. Maybe she'll be the one when they finally do go to the colony to pick up Hera. She'll be the one to, like, take Hera back. And that'll be her redeeming quality, and then she'll go down with the ship. Just like Darth Vader. Exactly! See, she's Anakin. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. The snivelly Hayden Christensen one or the, the Humpty Dumpty one? Uh, oh, Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> it took me a minute to get that. Now I do. Because <laughs> for me, Darth Vader is always the powerful older man, not the... No, I agree. Darth Vader, Darth Vader, yes, Vader. is that character. But Anakin is definitely Hayden Christensen. Yeah. 
perhaps we'll talk about this next episode. I'm going to bring it up now because I don't really know what they're going to do in terms of Daybreak Part 1. It's all one episode, but it is split up into different parts. So I don't know how they're going to segment Part 1 with Part 2, if it's going to be an obvious break or if it's going to just be flowing in together really smoothly. And the only difference between the two is there might be a minor cliffhanger at the end of Part 1. So in other words, they might introduce a lot of stuff at the beginning of Daybreak Part 1, which at that point we'll just have more to talk about. So I'm going to bring this up now is we've talked about many times about when the show ends. And I'm opening this up for everyone in podcast land, too. We've said many times how we think it might end or how you'd feel about a sad ending and depressing ending. Something occurred to me, and that's, do you really think if they do an ending that is kind of a downer, not that the show is bad, but they end on a down note where it's just not as happy as you'd like. Okay. Would you really be content with that? And I say that because you know, we can say that now, but that's because every week, if there's a bad episode that happens, like D kills herself or any number of things that have happened, we've always had another episode that follows it. So we could always think, oh, it'll get better next time. It'll get better next time. If the final episode ends on a note where maybe not entirely, but largely it's pretty depressing, we won't have another one to come back the next week and say, ah, oh, I feel much better now. It was tough before, but whew, we got through it and I feel relieved now. And if that happens, if it does end that way, do you really in your heart of hearts, will you be able to say, yes, I'm satisfied? Mm. I thought about it. I'm like, you know, I, I say that now that I would be good with them having that type of ending. And I wouldn't complain about it. It just afterwards, I'd feel like, oh, I just wish they had done it this way. And then I have like second thoughts. And I can see a certain segment of people, if they do end it in a certain way, who will just because they suddenly realize, hey, it's not going to get better. They'll be overall negative towards it. Has anybody ever ended a show on a negative tone? Hmm. So I'm, I'm going back in my head through all of the sci-fi shows that have ended, like Stargate, Stargate Atlantis. I just can't come up with a show that's ended on a negative tone. As I think of shows that I was a fan of and how they ended, I was a big fan of MASH when I was a kid. I remember the last episode, and that was a really good final episode. Obviously, it's like the most watched TV show ever. So that was a really moving episode. It was sad, but it had its moments that resolved things for various characters. Some were happy, some not so. But that one was a good mix for me. Then there was the ending of Six Feet Under. You know, talk about spoilers and predictions. I actually predicted the ending, the last scenes of, of that show. If you're a fan of the show or whatnot, you are, of course, familiar with the final four minutes in this montage. And I won't, I won't say what it is just in case you haven't seen it. But I thought that was a really good ending, I guess, probably because I predicted it. But um, so I don't know. We'll, I guess we'll see as we get closer. And we'll get, I guess, maybe a clue once we see Daybreak Part 1 to see just uh, what direction they're, they're going in. Yeah, it's just I just don't recall ever seeing a show that ended on a negative note to the point where you were like, huh, bummer, it sucked. Yeah. You know, usually it has some sort of resolution to it that you're like, okay, yeah. And there are three hours left, but it does make me wonder if because they didn't set up any sort of clue about where they could possibly go to settle permanently. I wonder if they just will not. It, it might just seem too forced and too rushed if suddenly they arrive at a place. Like, I don't think they can just randomly find find some place. Like yeah. a raptor goes, oh my gosh, look what we found on the Dratus. And what if and, they do, Brian? Well, then I'll be disappointed. 
If, however, if the Mandela appears and some people go through it and there's a planet on the other side, then I won't be as disappointed because that kind of fits into the mythology of the show. Okay. But yeah, I don't want there just to be a suddenly find a random planet after all these weeks and months and years that, oh yeah, we just now happen to find one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How How convenient. It's only one jump away. Yeah. (laughs) We just were able to make it with that one last jump. All right, for grades. I got to go a C. It's still just average, but that could be because I'm grading on a curve where I expected more. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, it's still better than any other sci-fi show I've seen in a long, long, long time. So just on a straight, I'm sure it's it's probably a B episode, but we've just invested so much into it that it's sitting at a C on a curve. Mm-hmm. And it could be one of those things where, again, maybe in the last three episodes, I suddenly go, okay, I get how it all worked together now. It's all good. But we'll see. I'm going to second what Jason said. I mean, I'm going with a C just because it was kind of a eh episode. You know, some things were better than others. I'm tired of seeing Adama get into a drunken state and throw his body all over the ship. But whatever. <laughs> I'm going with Jason. <laughs> I'm going to give it a B minus. I can't go quite as low if a C is low, just because there was that one episode a couple episodes ago that I thought was sort of a low mark so far in the last string of episodes. And like I said, I thought Eddie's direction elevated the material a little bit, although I did find some of it, like you said, the flailing bit. I kind of found that, not to sound too much like Simon Cowell, but kind of indulgent, (laughs) you know? Wait, you watch American Idol? Oh, my wife does. Okay. (laughs) I usually, on seeing it a second time, I gain a little bit more appreciation for it. This time, I didn't really see anything that new in terms of the story, which usually I see something that pops out, like another line or a certain way a shot is done that gives it a little bit more meaning, a little bit more context compared to some other scene or some other line within the show. I didn't really see that so much this time. Maybe I just caught it the first time. I don't know. But what I did notice more was just the performances again were really, really good. So I'll buy that. B minus. But Ron, I ain't buying the whole Hilo not knowing his wife thing. I ain't buying it. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so want to remind everyone to send us those thoughts to our email address. That's gcorum at gmail.com and our voicemail, 301-358-5175. Don't forget to send us your submissions and ideas for other shows that we might be able to cover. Send us your ideas for the Quarry Awards. You can either send us an email or you can find one of the posts on our forums about the quarries. So either way, works. The quarry? The quarries, yes. <laughs> How do you spell that? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Wait, you had to have typed well, it up okay. in your notes. Yes, I did. Uh, it's spelled <laughs> Q-U-O-R-R-I-E-S. Quarries. Did you look up to see if that's a real word? I'm pretty sure it's not. Okay. <laughs> Just want to make sure it's There's not, a quarry like-, like a Q-U-A-R-R-Y, but this is not a quarry like you would find uh, digging up rocks. This is a quarry, the Quorum Awards, the quarry. Got it. Does <laughs> it make sense? No, I, I get it. I know no, it's just, totally stupid. But I'm just wondering if it's a real word just I, in case it means something really bad. <laughs> what, what could it possibly mean? Who knows? I don't know. Anyway, so that will wrap up this episode. Thanks for joining us. The Jump Clock is running. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.
You're disappointed in Hilo? I am. For being a parent? For being a parent. A parent. A parent. Not a parent. Not a parent. <laughs> a parent. A father. <laughs> it's <laughs> apparent that he's a parent.